Father, you know each one of us. You've been with us our whole life as little children as we grew up. You saw us through uh, things that we've experienced with pain, suffering, anxiety, um, all kinds of different things, joys. You know us. You've engraven our names in the palms of your hands. You can't forget us. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we invite your presence into this room right now. This is a heavy subject. This is the most important subject that we could ever talk about. And we need you to teach us and open our minds and our hearts that will not be uh, freaked out about the future, but will have confidence and assurance that you're with us and that you love us. Thank you for these people that have come in here today. And we ask your blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. This, the first day here, it's called the New Birth Experience. So what I want us to do, and uh, there's a principle that we need to keep our gaze on Jesus Christ, and we need to glance at ourselves. Okay? Don't look too deep about your mistakes and failures, okay? We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, because he's our hope. He's begun a good work in us, and he's promised to finish it. Okay, because I'm going to say some things today. I'm not even going to say it. The Bible and Spirit of Prophecy are going to say it. It might step on your toes, but don't get mad and run out the door and start crying, because that's not the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ, right? Amen? Okay, so uh, I want to read something first. Do you have your Bibles? You turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. 13 verse 5. I guess I didn't introduce myself, but my wife and our pastor's up in the UP. We have three churches up there. I think she said that. But So it's a joy to be here with you. Okay, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves. So I didn't make that out. I, I didn't, that just didn't come to my head. I mean, God said that. We need to examine ourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. Have you ever heard that part before? Jesus Christ is in you. Where's that found? Can someone tell me where that's found? Galatians. It's, uh, is it 127 or 220? Is it 127? Okay, the other one says, um, anyway, <laughs> there's two of them that sound very alike, but Yes, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the mystery of godliness, how Christ can actually live in us. So, Christ in you, except ye be reprobates. And we don't want to be reprobates, right? So, and then, this whole uh, first section is going to be dealing with an issue we call righteousness by faith. But I just want to read something to you here that might encourage you. It's on page 161. In, in a book called Gospel Workers. Okay, and the title of it is Righteousness by Faith. Righteousness by Faith. And here it goes. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, simply given to us, not because of any merit, not because we stop eating cheese, not because we pay our tithe, not because of anything on our part, 
but as a free gift from God. We can't explain it. It's simply a free gift. And the only thing we can do is reach out and accept that gift. Salvation, free gift. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented, for he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken in their life. Okay, so what's going to happen? If we understand, if we accept the righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, his power is going to be broken in our life. So we're not going to be sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting. That's, that gets really old and boring and discouraging. Okay? So the enemy doesn't want you to understand it because he knows if you understand it and you apply it and you use it, his power is broken in your life. And then you can go happily along skipping on into heaven. Okay? Sounds easy. Well, as we get into the story here, it's not that easy, but it's the truth. It's the truth, and God's going to give us the power to be able to do that. New birth, new birth experience, we're going to go into that a little bit. But first of all, why are we still here? Uh, we're told, I think, I'm not sure I have it on the slide, but we're told that in the, was it 1857 or something, that Jesus was ready to come, but he didn't show up. He didn't come. There was a reason for that. Um, so why are we still here? Um, there is a statement, it's on here someplace, but I'm going to just quote it right now. It's in, it's in Christ's object lessons. A lot of people don't like this statement because they take it out of context, but it says, when Christ's character is perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come. Okay. Now see that, no, don't say that. Because God said he can do it, man. <coughs> Okay, and people, they get freaked out because the word perfect's in there. Oh, I'll never be perfect. It's not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. Okay, Christ's Object Lessons, page 69. Okay, so this is out of book Evangelism. The angels of God in their messages to men represent time as very short. Thus, it has always been presented to me, it is true that time has continued longer than we expected in the early days of the message. The Savior did not appear as soon as we had hoped. But has the word of God failed? Or the Lord failed? No, never. It should be remembered that the promises and threatenings of God are alike conditional. So we need to find out what the conditions are. Had Adventist, after the great disappointment in 1844, held fast their faith and followed on unitedly in the opening providences of God, receiving the message of the third angel, very important, third angel, and in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming it to the world, they would have seen the salvation of God and the Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. The work would have been completed and Christ would have come ere this to receive his people to the reward. Okay, the third angel, I'm not sure, is that on here? It is on here. I need to follow the slides. My wife is always on me, to just follow the slides, okay? Just follow the slides. And sometimes I get carried away and I don't start following the slides and then I'm three or four slides ahead and, or backwards or something, so I'll try to follow the slides today. Uh, so the, the, the problem is, is they didn't accept the third angel's message. Now, a lot of times we, we group the third angel with the three angels. And so we say, well, it's the mark of the beast, mark of the beast. 
No, that's not the third angel's message. For 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into heavenly Canaan. Okay, what is it? Their unbelief. Unbelief in what? Unbelief in the third angel's message, which gives us power to obey and keep the commandments. See, a lot of times when we preach, the evangelistic means we, we push the commandments, but then the, we try it on our own to keep the commandments. But uh, God's going to show us how we can do that. So for 40 years, murmuring, rebellion, shut out ancient Israel from Canaan. It's the same sins that we're committing today uh, why we haven't entered. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in the world of sin and sorrow for so long. And since I've been in the church, we have striven, striven, is that the right? Striven or stroven? We have striven over a lot of details over the last uh, 40 years of things that are not helping us to the kingdom, but we're fighting with each other. We're arguing about things. Uh, General Conference had a big session. There were a lot of time and money was spent on a certain issue. But that's not, that's not what God called us to do. He told us to preach the gospel and reach every kindred, tongue, and nation. So a lot of things that we deal with are not the gospel, but we, we make the gospel out of it. Uh, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. Okay, that's the bottom line. Justification by faith in Christ alone. What does that mean? Martin Luther stumbled across this text in Romans 1.16 and 17 in there someplace that it says the just shall live by faith alone. And that blew him away. He got so excited about that that he went and told somebody else about it. And the next thing we know, we have this big, what do they call it? The, the Reformation, right? That one text, it totally changed his life. And it should change ours too when we, when we get it. It presented an uplifted Savior. This message to, to us to bring more permanently, prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. We're justified uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5 1, what does Romans 5 1 say? For being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Okay? By faith in Jesus. Okay? It's not in ourselves. A lot of times we start looking at ourselves and what we're doing or what we're not doing, and then we get discouraged. And some people leave the truth all completely. Some people just keep hanging on, hoping that they're going to make it. And God wants us to be marching to Zion, right? We got that song, Marching to Zion. Not limping around and woe is me and the whole world's crumbling in around me. He wants us to rise above those things. And we can do it through him. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to, their, to his, his divine person. His merits and his changes love for the human race. This is what they had lost sight of especially after the great disappointment in the 1800s. 
And out of the 1800s, the great disappointment, we, we ended up with uh, Christian science, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, uh, a group of people that studied things out, and then they went different directions. In the Seventh-day Adventists, they got together, they prayed their socks off, and, and submitted their wills to God and said, God, we, we messed up. We want to know where we messed up. And so then the, the sanctuary truth came, came out, and they stuck together. All power is given to his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agents. His own perfect obedience, his righteousness he's giving us to us. Why? Because uh, our, uh, our hel we're helpless. We're helpless without Christ. This is the message that God commanded to give to the world. It's the third angel's message. So instead of pushing the righteousness of Christ and that Jesus Christ can change our lives and keep us from falling and make us new creatures, we're talking about don't get the mark of the beast. Okay. The way not to get to the mark of the beast is to get the seal of God. Does that make sense, you guys? Okay. And that's by receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect obedience. Uh, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large member. We're praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 24-7 for a number of years. And I asked the last church we were at in Washington, I said, what are you praying for? What do you expect to happen? A lightning bolt come down and zap you or something? And no, it's about convicting of sin and about surrendering your life to Jesus and allowing him to live in you the hope of glory. That's what, that's what this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he'll take sin out of our lives, he'll convict us of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. And then instead of fighting him, say, well, I don't think that's a big deal, we submit to him and say, okay, Lord, you got me. You got all of me. And then we're changed. Now, this is another uh, aspect of what's happening in our day here. I saw a very large company professing the name of Christ, but God did not recognize them as his. He had no pleasure in them. Satan seemed to assume a religious character and was very willing that people should think that they were Christians. Okay? Stay awake now with me. It's going to get a little heavier. So um, as we're examining ourselves, we need to check ourselves out. Is God the most important thing in my life? Does he have my thoughts, my best interests, my money, my, my activities, my, my uh, what's, what, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, thank you. Those things, does he have everything of me? That they were Christians. He was even anxious that they should believe in Jesus. That his crucifixion, his resurrection, do you guys believe in that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ actually walked this earth and, and he was tempted in all, all points like we are and yet without sin and that he died and he was resurrected to newness of life and, and he was transported to heaven to sit at the right hand of God uh, to mediate for us? Do you believe that? Amen. Satan believes that. Satan knows it. He was there. Satan and his angels fully believe all this themselves and tremble. But if this faith does not provoke to good works and lead those who profess to imitate the self-denying life of Christ, Satan is not disturbed. Okay, so all we have to do is go out and do some good works, and then we can make it. 
We can feed people, clothe people, uh, do all kinds of uh, good works. That's all we have to do. No. Okay. Satan is not disturbed because for they merely assume the Christian name while their hearts are still carnal. And he can use them even or use them in his work even better than if they had never made a profession. And I've been in some churches where I've seen this in real life, where people call themselves Christians, but then they act like the devil. You know, Seventh-day Adventist churches. So we don't want to be that way, do we? Okay. The new birth is a rare experience in this world in 2016. This is a reason why there are so many perplexities in the churches. Many, so many who assume the name of Christ are unsanctified and unholy. And uh, we belonged to a church one time. There were three retired ministers in it. I was on the board. We'd have board meetings. And there was a new guy, the new pastor. And he was teaching something different than what the old guys were taught. And they would get upset, so upset that in this one meeting, they were going to jump up and actually got up, and they were going to punch him. And I said, wait a minute. You guys, we're, we're Christians here, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And then they sit down and they calm down. But we've seen this in real life where people calling ourselves Christians and yet we're acting out of Christ. We're not having that meek and lowly and sweet spirit that Jesus had. They've been baptized, but they were buried alive. And this is a major problem. Uh, self did not die, and therefore they did not raise to newness of life. And uh, we've been involved in evangelism. I started in, uh, four, I was 14 years old helping the pastor out. I left the church for 10 years. But since then, we've been involved in a lot of different evangelistic meetings, and we always do the same things. We try to get them through the 27 fundamentals, and as soon as they intellectually accept that, okay, now they're ready. And over and over again, we see that that's not the truth. That's not exactly what's happening. They're getting an intellectual knowledge of the truth, but it's not changing their heart. And so we need to get to the heart in order for people to be ready to meet Jesus Christ. I was uh, 14 years old. My mom and dad lived in the tavern. They were in the tavern. And I would sleep in the back of the tavern. And on Friday nights and Saturday, not Sabbath, Saturday, <laughs> I would uh, go to the local theater. And that was my babysitter. And then when I got out at midnight or 1 o'clock, whenever the second show got over, I would go to the tavern, sit in the car, and wait for my parents to come out. And I remember several times at four, five, six years old, crying for my mommy to come out, you know, and going to the door and knocking, my mommy come out, you know. And sometimes she would come out and sometimes she wouldn't. I remember going home several times at two in the morning and no one would be there. And so that's the way I grew up. At 14 years old, my mom surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And she became a born-again Christian. And our life changed. And I studied with her. And I was baptized at 14 years old into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was not born again, but I learned some basic biblical understandings, okay, about the Bible. Not born again. So um, I hung in there for about three or four years, went to academy, and was asked to leave and all that type of stuff. And so I, I left the church at 18, got drafted into the military to go to Vietnam, didn't happen. I didn't get killed. I, I actually made it through it all right. And so I came back, and I just lived my old lifestyle, same old lifestyle I did before I, before I uh, 
left. Oh, that's out of context. Sorry, I'll get there. So um, at, I think I was 21, I was down at San Antonio, Texas in the military. Pastor wrote me a letter and said, you know, you should probably consider getting rebaptized because if you go to Vietnam and get killed, at least you'll go to heaven. Okay, is baptizing, baptism a key to heaven? I mean, is that how I get in? I've got, I don't know if I got them with me here. I have two baptismal things here someplace. I usually keep it in there. Anyway, he talked me into it. I thought that's probably a good idea because I don't want to go to hell and burn, right? I mean, nobody really wants to do that. So I, uh, I said, okay, when I come home from my basic training, I will get rebaptized. Well, I came down on orders. There were 600 and some guys in my company, and everybody went to Vietnam, except 10 of us. I was one of the 10, and I was sent to Tacoma, Washington to work in a hospital. So I wasn't going to Vietnam. So if I'm not going to Vietnam, I get killed, and I don't need to get rebaptized. Does that make sense? So I went home, saw my mom, and the pastor came over, saw me, and said, you promised you were going to get rebaptized, so you need, to, you need to fulfill your promise. And so I said, okay, I'll do that. We went, sat down, and went to the 27 Fundamental Doctrines of the Seventh Adventist Church. Okay? Now, I did that when I was 14. It didn't change my life. And so now I'm going through the same material again, and it didn't change my life. Okay, I got another head knowledge of the teachings of our church. So um, I tried to live that, the good fight of faith that Paul talks about for about three months. Where I didn't dance, drink, smoke, didn't wear jewelry, any of that stuff. And I did that for three months until it got really boring and dry and lifeless. And then uh, probably yeah, at the end of the three months, a friend of mine from, from the academy that I went to school with, he was in the Army too, he came by, a preacher's kid, asked me if I wanted to go for a ride, and so we went cruising around, and offered me a cigarette, I started smoking right then, never looked back, and just went more into alcohol and tobacco and drugs and everything else. Didn't look back, didn't really believe there was a God, and just hardened my heart. So it's like when you turn away from the light, the enemy just... He's just there to take everything away. So. so I lived that way for about 10 years. I almost died out there. Some of my friends did die in that lifestyle. Never made it back. I had a mother that prayed her socks off for me. And I'm very grateful for her and my sister, big time. And uh, the, the more she prayed for me, the worse I got. But they never gave up. They had an all-night prayer meeting one New Year's. And uh, they prayed that I'd make my decision one way or the other. And that's scary because there were things that happened in my life where I just felt the withdrawing of God's spirit. I didn't know it was God's spirit, but I felt separate, alone, cold, you know. And so at that point, I was pretty messed up. And the Holy Spirit, I can say that now, I didn't know him. The Holy Spirit said, you need to go see your mom. And I agreed with him. And so I went back home and she saw that I was pretty bad. And she started uh, having me drink water, uh, get fresh air, walk, get exercise, walk around, vegetarian cooking, food. Uh, we call it the Eight Laws of Health. And it worked. It, God gave my mind back. And I started seeking God on my own now, not because somebody else was telling me to do it. And so I started reading the Word and praying. 
And I, I prayed this prayer, God, if you're real, if you're out there, I, I want to know you. I don't want to know what the Catholics believe or the Pentecostals or Adventists. I, I want to know you. And John 17, 3 says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And so I took that text, and I started in Genesis, and I started reading the scriptures with the idea to know God. And being skeptical at this point, I get to the half of the first text, in the beginning, God, and I stopped. Okay, now I need to exercise faith, right? In the beginning, God. And so you have, you know, and this little voice is talking to me, what are you going to do with that? I said, well, okay, I have to believe it. I mean, I can reject it, but if I reject it, I'm not even better off, right? And I'm not going to find God by rejecting it. So I thought, well, okay, then I'm going to say there is a God. And so because I accepted that one point on faith, which God gives to every man a measure of faith, right? We all have the ability to say, yes, I'm going to believe that. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to believe that you're real and you're there. Okay, one night, and I'm still struggling, you guys, with my habits. Okay, I'm reading the Bible. I'm still struggling with my habits. And I came home one night. It was Friday night. I was going to go to church the next day. And I had a few drinks with some people. I came home, and I realized I had no power to stop doing bad things. I couldn't stop smoking. couldn't stop drinking, smoking dope, nothing. I realized that. And so I just got on the floor, I'm crying. I said, God, listen, if you're real, I need help. I can't do what's right. I can't stop doing bad things. And so I need you if you're real. And as I'm praying that prayer, this thought came into my mind and said, I'm real and I love you. And that blew me away. Because everybody in the world, they actually honestly only want love. They want somebody to care about them and to have the creator of the universe care about you and speak to you like that, that I'm real and I love you, that broke my heart. And so I said, God, I'm, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life, and that's it. That's all I need to know. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 38 years, 39 years, something like that. Okay, so now I go to the preacher. And I said, the Adventist preacher, I said, hi, I, uh, I want to get rebaptized. He didn't know me yet. My mom went to the church there. So he said, well, who are you? And I told him my story. Okay, great. Well, um, we'll have to sit down and have some studies. I said, okay, that's, that's good. So we went to the 27 Fundamental Doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Same ones. Don't drink, dance, smoke. Don't wear jewelry. Don't eat between meals. Don't, you know, whatever. And I knew them. So, but then he threw in this other one, folks. Listen to this one. Um, after you get baptized, if for some reason you slip up and you, marry, or you uh, sleep with a married woman, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be lost. As long as you're doing more good than evil, you'll be in heaven. Okay? Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. So that's not Adventism. That's not Bible. Okay? But coming out of the world, you think, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, I can sin now 90 or, you know, 40 or 59, 50% of the time as long as I'm doing more good than evil, you know. Well, that was a lie. But I didn't know it then. So I said, okay, fine. I went home and I, and I was praying. I said, God, is that true? And then God showed me in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, no, it's not true. 
And whatever you go in the grave doing, you come up the same way. You're not changed in the grave. And then uh, to really top it off, I had that exact temptation about three weeks after I got baptized. Exact temptation. And in the midst of that temptation, this is the first time I've ever done this, but it's possible, I'm, I'm praying, I said, in my mind, in this uh, altercation, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> this embrace, and I'm thinking, God, help me. That's all I could pray. And boom, as soon as I prayed that, there's a knock on the door. And I go, wow, what in the world's happening? And I push this lady aside. I went to the door, and there's a church member there. And I go, wow. I opened the door, went inside, outside. I said, yeah, what's going on? The guy talked to me. I have no idea what he talked to me about. I'm thinking about what's going on inside the apartment, you know. And I'm praying, God, what, what, what do I do here? What's, you know, how do I get out of this thing? And so as I, as I was praying that, the church member left. I went back in there. I said, listen, um, you're, you're going to have to leave. You know, I can't see you anymore. You just got to go. And so uh, she called herself a bunch of names and all that and felt bad, and I apologized. So she leaves, and I'm, I fall on the floor, and I say, God, what is going on here? You know, this is, there's something different here happening than ever before. There's this battle of this flesh and the spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. No one ever taught me that. During the three times I went through the 27 fundamental doctrines, no one ever taught me about the flesh and the spirit and what to do about it. And so I had, I had a firsthand experience and a, a lesson from God himself where he delivered me out of it. Here's a promise for you. It works every single time. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God said, I will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear and with the temptation provide a way to escape. Okay. Now, my temptation at that point in my life, and I hadn't met my wife or anything, was a sexual one. Okay. But there are temptations to criticize, to complain, to murmur, there are temptations for inappropriate music, inappropriate reading material, inappropriate television watching. Whatever you want to call it's inappropriate, there's a, there's a deliverance for you through that. Okay? It works every time. I remember being totally freaked out. We, went, we took some kids down to Belize on our first mission trip. Got down there. No one was there to pick us up. We, we didn't uh, know where to go. They were living out in some jungle hut. Didn't know how to get a hold of the guy. And here I'm getting anxious and worried. I've got $10,000 in my money belt to help build a, a doctor's house. Okay, I, now I'm being tempted with worrying my, myself out of God's hands. Okay? Now God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Will you remember that one too? It's in Hebrews. I will never leave you or forsake you. 13.5. So no matter what you're going through, if you're stressed out, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will come to you. Okay. There's another one. Um, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Matthew 28, 20. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Okay. So I got baptized. This is my third time around. This time I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I didn't do it because my mom wanted me to or the pastor wanted me to or somebody else. I did it because I wanted to live for Jesus Christ. Okay, now I'll, let me see how far I am ahead of my slides, okay? Because there's an important uh, statement here. And it says, when I'm weary of sin, I don't know where it is. Okay, 
Okay, we're just going to have to... I'll, have, I'll show you when we get there. <laughs> I'm skipping too many good things. So, so but it says in, in the book Evangelism, when a person becomes weary of sin, then God accepts them as his own. So a lot of times when we give our lessons, and I'm doing this, I give, we did three evangelistic series during Unlock Revelation. So, but when you become weary of sin, that's what I'm looking for. Are you sick and tired of the way you're living? And if you are, and you're weary of it, then you go to God and you say, God, I am tired of, me, of myself. I'm tired of being critical of everybody. I'm tired of looking down my nose and every time somebody does something wrong, I'm picking apart their, what they're doing. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of gossiping. I'm tired of talking behind people's backs. Okay, am I touching anybody's toes here? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hands. But the sins in the church, we're like that. I've, you know, I've been in a number of churches, and there's always that uh, spirit, that spirit there. And God wants to heal that part. So when Christ's character is perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come. Christ's character is loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, patience, and he's just. He does things that is just and right, and that's the spirit he wants us to have before he can come. Now, if we're going to be fighting over the color of the carpet, you know, we just build a new church, and people get in fights over the carpet. Oh, they didn't do it the way I wanted to do it, so I'm going to leave. I'm going to take my money and go someplace else, (laughs) this type of stuff. That's not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ brings unity. And unity, the unity he's talking about is unifying on truth, not air. There's a movement right now for us to unify on air. Now that's, that's not the unity that Jesus is talking about, right? Are you aware of that? Okay, we don't want to be a part in that unification. Okay, so, and uh, this thing about being born again, that many people are buried alive. Now, in Rwanda... How many remember the massacre in Rwanda in 19... Yeah. You know, there were actually Seventh-day Adventist people that were killing each other, okay? Now we can say it was a cultural thing and all this stuff, but really, the Satan's behind all of this. Murder, hatred, anger, whatever shape and size it comes in, it's Satan's originator of it. And so, uh, there was almost a million people murdered in Rwanda, and some of our people were killing each other. Well, how could they do that? And people would say that. How could they do that? They were church members. Because church membership is not going to get you in the kingdom. It's knowing God and having his character reproduced in our lives. Okay? So we got Rwanda. Then uh, I worked at Amazing Facts for a couple of years teaching in the School of Evangelism. And we'd have young people come in there, and some of them were like 70 years old, and some of them were 20 years old. And they would, they would be all excited about the Lord. They just found out their sins had been forgiven. They're all excited. And so they wanted to go tell somebody. And so they come into to class. And uh, I would share my part about how the gospel works and how to say no to the flesh and those types of things. And to, to tell the difference between a sin and temptation. A lot of people are just being tempted. They think they're sinning all the time. A lot of times it's just temptation. So we need to go into that and discuss that. But so I would teach them this, and then some of the other things that were going on, some of the other teachers that taught them how to, how to live, and they would go home, and they wouldn't know how to control their flesh. And so they'd go back into smoking dope or drugs or whatever they were into before they came to AFCO, or uh, having sex with their Bible study, 
that they were having. Okay, these types of things. So there's something wrong with what we're presenting. If we're just presenting an intellectual knowledge, that won't keep us from falling. Now, Jesus said, I can keep you from falling. Jude 24, right? I can do that. But unless we submit and say, okay, Lord, uh, I want you to keep me from falling, then he can't do it. He won't go against our wills, okay? But with the experience I have with that lady, I realized that if I just pray, Lord, help me, and I really want deliverance, the power was there. He was there to help me. And so it's when we get tired and, and weary of sin and how we're living, and we cry out to God and say, God, I want a new heart. I want to be changed. And then it will take place. Then it will happen. Uh, new birth. Here we go. This is how it works. This is how it worked for me, okay? And I'm not anybody unusual, so I'm assuming that it's probably the same thing that's going to happen to you. Uh, not the temp same temptations, but to, to recognize when the te temptation comes and what to do about it. Because Jesus felt every temptation we felt, and yet he didn't, as far as we know, uh, commit fornication, adultery. He didn't destroy his body with drugs. But yet he felt the pull of the flesh. And each one of us feel that pull. I, I started feeling it today when uh, we got here, and it was a different projector with different hooks up, hookups, and I realized, oh, we're not going to be able to show the thing. And I felt this little bit of anxiety. I go, wait a minute. God's the one that set this thing up. I have no reason to be worried. It's going to work out. And guess what? It worked out. And I always tell my wife, and I think she gets tired of this. I said, honey, it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I think she gets tired of me saying that. But it always does. Every situation we've been in, our feet have gotten wet getting into the water like the children of Israel, and yet when we get in there, boom, the problem's solved. It's amazing. I mean, houses, uh, we were doing Bible work, and we found out that they had me taking money out of our checks. We owed like 600 and some bucks back taxes. So what did we do? Freak out and start crying and running down the road? And <laughs> No, we stopped and we prayed and said, Lord, we don't know how this happened. We're sorry. But we don't have any money to pay these taxes. Sabbath, a guy came up with an envelope and said, somebody wanted me to give this to you. I go, really? I took it, I sat in the car, and it was holy money. I opened the envelope, there was a thousand bucks in there. I said, Lord, you gave us more than we need. <laughs> no, but he delivered us. He provided the money. Okay. Now, I'm not suggesting that he's always going to provide you the money you need. I'm not saying that, but he's got an answer. He's got an answer. That's, that's the awesome thing. So that what it helps me to do is I can trust him and I can rest, which is really what he wants us to do, to rest in him. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, it's the truth. Rest. And it's so hard when, when you know, things are piling up. Bills are piling up or whatever, or, you know, you're, um, a relative is sick and in the hospital and they're dying, they got brain tumors and all this, and you're trying to rest. And yet, there's nothing really you can do about it to change the thing, except, except rest, rest, trust and rest. This whole thing about eternal life and getting to know God and all that, it's all about trusting Him and resting in Him. And that's our weakest point, James. Yeah, true. That's what we're supposed to do, right, on Sabbath, at rest. And, yeah. Okay, so the new birth. 
Can someone tell me probably the best place to go to in the Bible that would explain the new birth? Who? Yes, ma'am. Nicodemus. John chapter 3. In fact, in the Desire of Ages, it says, in no other place did God explain the, the new birth as, um, as he did in the story of Nicodemus. And that's on the last page of the chapter on Nicodemus. It's like the second or third paragraph down. And I don't know where it's at. But you can check that out for me. You can tell me tomorrow. <laughs> okay, the new birth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we say, well, how in the world can this happen? I can't enter into my mother's womb a second time. Right? Nicodemus was a rich man, highly educated. He was a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, an honored member of the National Council. His own study of prophecy convinced him that Jesus was the one who was to come. He'd been so impressed by the teaching of Jesus that he made an appointment to meet him one night, thinking to enter into a theological discussion about the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus was shocked when Jesus told him that he needed to be born again. This, this is not theology. It's just, and I'm not talking theology, it's just real life experiences. And all through this week, Joy's going to share her part of this too, of how she's experienced and what's helping her with. But it's not theology. We try to divide all the, the little dots and tittles and crossing the T's, and, and we write books and uh, mass quantities of literature on the gospel, which we can't even explain. But we try. Okay, but this is not the, it's, this is an experience that, God wants each one of us to have because this is what God wants us to tell other people. Go and tell what I've done for you. Okay? So, in the interview with Nicodemus, Jesus unfolded the plan of salvation and his mission to the world. This is it. And this is the one. Jody put it in there. Thanks, babe. Um, in none of his subsequent discourses did he explain so fully, step by step, the work necessary to be done in the hearts of all who would inherit the kingdom of heaven. So as we read through the story, I recommend you read that chapter in Desire of Ages on Nicodemus because um, it will help you to understand how to walk. The greatest deception of human minds in Christ's day was that a mere assent to the truth constitutes righteousness. And I'd gone to the 27 fundamental doctrines three times and it didn't change my heart. So it's not theology. In all human experience, a theological Theoretical knowledge of the truth has been proved to be insufficient for the saving of the soul. And yet, we need both. You need an intellectual knowledge, but we need the heart too. And most of the time, a lot of times, it gets stuck up here. And it's harder to get it down here than up here. It does not bring forth the fruits of righteousness. And what are the fruits of righteousness? Help me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay. Now, I, I've met and I've hung out with a number of uh, Adventist folks 
and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, I'm not ashamed of that, that are not full of joy. They don't have a lot of happiness because a lot of them are sitting on the edge of their seats worrying about the time of trouble and how am I going to escape this thing? And I can't be perfect. I, we taught a lady years ago, this 30-some years ago, in a place called Federway, Washington, an older lady, she was in her 80s at that time, totally freaked out about the time of trouble. And uh, she died a few years later of natural causes. She never met the time of trouble. And so God wants us to have joy and peace and happiness and all these, these fruits of the Spirit. That's his will. And Satan's always trying to take our joy away from us. And so when I, when I feel upset or I'm, I'm getting uh, uptight about things, I go, wait a minute. That's not joy. So in my mind, so I'm going to have joy. I don't care. I'm going to laugh and smile and whatever. And sometimes you can just laugh it off. You can get those endorphin things working, and it works. You feel better. So, okay, anyway. A jealous regard of what is termed theological truth often accompanies a hatred for genuine truth as made manifest in life. The darkest chapters of history are burdened with a record of crimes committed by bigoted religionists. Now we look at the, the life of Jesus Christ. Those people were strict on the law. They, would, they wouldn't even, uh, well, they didn't want to take Jesus, have anything to do with Jesus on the cross during the Sabbath days. You know, uh, so they were very strict, bigoted religionists. And we don't want to be that way. We want genuine truth. So what is genuine truth? What does it look like compared to the false? Now, we can look at, uh, you know, some of the teachings that have come down through history, or through Catholicism, or through the Greek mythology, or some of the Roman teachings that are false, Okay. But we can look at the beautiful teachings of the Bible in Jesus Christ, where he talks about simple things like loving each other and treating other people the way you want to be treated. Um, in the book, Mount of Blessings, it uses that term. It says, this is the answer of, of, take, of being a Christian, is by treating people the way you want to be treated. Oh, well, that's not a problem, and I'll just go do that, and then I can be saved. No, it's Jesus in us that even makes us uh, uh, available or, or possible to even do that, to love people the way you want to be treated. Because I've ran into some people that are unloving, un un unlovable, or what do you want to call it? And yet, by, through faith in Christ, he can change our hearts to make us that way, to love people, the, the unlovely people that treat us not kind. The Pharisees claimed to be children of Abraham and boasted of their possessions of the oracles of God, Yet these advantages did not preserve them from selfishness. Selfishness is the root of sin, you guys. That's the bottom line. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says that selfishness took the place of love. And God is trying to restore in us love, love for people. And if you start talking about love, then people get up tight and say, oh, no, you're talking this mushy love. You're always talking about love, God's love. Yeah, he is love. If it wasn't for God's love, I wouldn't even be here. And neither would you. It's because of God's love and mercy that we're even here today. Yet these advantages did not presume them for selfishness, malignity, greed for gain, and the basis hypocrisy. So those are the things that are against us right there, that last sentence. They thought themselves the greatest religionists of the world, 
but their so-called orthodoxy or teachings or doctrines led them to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. The same danger still exists today, in 2016. Steps towards the new birth. Number one, here it is. This is what happened to me. I became weary of sin. I, got, I was tired of the parties, tired of the music I was listening to, which was a miraculous thing that God did. Uh, the, the things I was doing that destroyed my body. I was sick and tired of it. And I just told him that night when I got down and prayed, God, I'm tired of the way I'm living. So we need to get weir become weary of sin. This is just before I gave my life to Christ. I was, 20, I was 27 years old here in that picture. I'd been out of the army a couple of years and just went back with my friends that I had in grade school and high school and just started playing baseball and partying and drinking beer and that was about my life. Can you imagine what a life, what a shallow life, play baseball and drink beer. <laughs> and we've been all over the world preaching the gospel since then, you know, went to the Philippines and down the Caribbean a few times. So it's a, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that God did in my life. And it simply came to the point of being weary of sin and submitting my will to God's will. God accepted them, you and me, in this room when they became weary of sin. I'm tired of carrying the, the guilt of some mistake I made 40 years ago. Satan used to play that trick on me, stuff that I did in high school. He'd come and tell me lies, you know, and oh, remember when you did that? And what I did, I said, yeah, I did that. But God has changed my life. I'm on God's side now. And then that, those thoughts would go away. So when he comes to you and starts lying to you about your past, I, I've laid that on the Lamb of God. If you put your sins on the Lamb of God, it's there, okay? It's still there, okay? I've laid my sins on the Lamb of God because of the atonement, because of the price that Jesus Christ paid, I'm set free. You look at all these guys that Jesus healed in the Bible, and you say, your sins be forgiven thee. Your sins be forgiven thee. We've got to believe that, that your sins have been forgiven you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away. He's made all things brand new. Now, this is the text that John, or Jesus gave to me in 2 Thessalonians 5.17. And I was really having a struggle with my past and some of the other things. And God gave me that text, and I would claim that over and over again. I'm a new creature. The old things are passed away. We have to believe that so we can move on. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I think this is where a lot of our, our people um, fail too, is they don't forgive themselves. Okay? This text can cure mental illness. I believe that I was a new creature in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Philippians 3.13, Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. Philippians 3. 313, 3.13, he's pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling. Did Paul have things to be guilty about? Yeah. He had people arrested, people killed, died in prison. And so I'm sure that the enemy was on his case too, lying to him. But he said, this one thing I do, pressing towards that mark, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm a new creature now. I've been forgiven because of Jesus Christ, because of the atonement. 
The atonement is a beautiful thing. Satan does not want us to believe in the atonement. That God, because of Christ's uh, death on the cross, he brought us back into that right relationship with the Father. We're one in him now. Surrender. This is another hard one. There were things in my life that were harder to surrender than other things. One of them was music. I really enjoyed rock and roll music. And so to give that up was almost like tearing away part of my body. And yet I knew it was, it was bad, it was wrong. Some of the songs were just satanic, you know, some of the words and things. And so I gave that up. I still remember the experience driving around town. And this is after I was baptized, gave my life to him. Driving around town, I'm listening to some music that was inappropriate. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit came in over the music. And it's really cool when the Holy Spirit starts talking to you, because I, I never had that happen before, but several times the Holy Spirit started telling me things. And the Holy Spirit said this, you know, um, you've given your life to Jesus now, and this music and Jesus cannot be in the same place. You need to choose who you're going to serve. And man, it's like hammer, boom. Well, Lord, I've done my own thing my whole life. I want to live for you now. So I give you my music. It was, it was hard. It was hard to surrender. It was the same way with swearing. It was the same way with everything you could think. The way I ate, the pepperoni pizza at 2 in the morning. You know, those types. I surrendered those things to Jesus Christ. And it was, you know what? It became almost enjoyable. I think, actually, I could say that. It was enjoyable to be able to give those things up and allow him to come in and change my life. I remember the first time I was going to church, and I just wore blue jeans and an old leather coat because God accepted me right where I am. Well, I'm going to church, and then one day the Holy Spirit says, you know, the Holy Spirit said this, not the preacher, not the teacher. You know, uh, you're coming before the king of the universe. You need to wear the best you have. And I thought about that, and I said, man, that's, that's true. I mean, God paid the greatest price in the world for me, and I need to respect him. And so I went out, and I, I bought a suit, which really felt funny to me. The, the pant legs were the weird thing there. They're always kind of flopping in the breeze, you know. And, and it, just, it didn't feel comfortable. But I did it because it was the appropriate attire for the occasion. And so he, he got me to wear a suit and all, all kinds of stuff. It was, it was pretty fun. I was thinking, well, God, what's the next thing? What's the next thing, you know? So, um, yeah, surrender. We, might, we need to do that. Whether it's uh, soap operas or what you're reading or whatever, we need to submit that to God. And when you do that, he's going to fill it with something better. And he started, <laughs> he started uh, I was listening to, to uh, you know, mu Christian music after I got rid of uh, Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and those guys. And now I'm listening to Christian music. And then I started, this is really weird, I started listening to classical music. It was really far out. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it, it was good. It was <laughs> and I, I started teaching these uh, those stress management classes, and then Neil Nedley saying, yeah, you need to listen, and it, it healed me. I, I really believe that. So, yeah, I recommend that to you, too. So, how am I doing in my time, Joey? You have about seven minutes. And, but I, is all day mine? Yeah. Okay, great. Because I want to get to the, this next part. Uh, in giving ourselves to God, we must necessarily give up all that would separate us from Him. Who sort uh, he be of you that forsakes not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. I think this is where really the rubber meets the road when it comes down to people's lives. 
because they don't want to surrender all to God. I'll give them a little bit. Maybe, maybe I'll go to church on Saturday. But <laughs> you know, some of these other details, I'm not so sure I want to give those things up. And so there's no growth after that. So you have a whole load of church members going to church on Saturday, but they haven't given anything else up, and so they're fighting and arguing with each other about little things like who used the copier, you know, or how many copies did you make, you know, those types of things. Uh, so whatsoever shall draw away the heart from God must be given up. This is an ongoing situation. Okay, that's why we need to examine ourselves. There's something I've put in, in God's place. But when I gave my life to Christ and and I saw Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the first time for my sins, then that experience filled that void that I was taking out of all those habits. Now Jesus was filling that hole of rock and roll and, and party and drinking and whatever the other thing was because I saw the love of God in, in, at the cross. And then, so those things filled, were filled by, that void was filled by the love of God. And I really believe that he'll do that with everybody. We cannot be half the Lord's and half the world's. We're not God's children unless we are such entirely. After I came in the church, and of course I was raised old school, you know, 60s and stuff, but I noticed that the music had changed within the church even. This, this was in the late 70s and 80s. And I thought, you know, this is weird, Lord. I gave all this stuff up and now it's creeping into the church the same uh, type of beat and all that type of stuff. And so I, I believe this generation that, we have dealing, that we're dealing with right now, because they didn't let go of some of their past, they wanted to bring the past into the church. And that's what we're dealing with right now. And you can't convince people of that, because if you start saying things like that, then they get upset with you and saying, well, you're an old timer, you don't know what you're talking about. But I really believe that if they would give some of those things up, their, their experience with Jesus Christ would deepen, and they would have victory, and, and they'd be happy and all that. Uh, how long does it take to surrender our life to Christ? It takes a moment. This is out of Review and Herald. The, the moment we surrender our lives to God, believing in Him, we have His righteousness, his right doing, or his perfect obedience. You and I have it. There's another one here. Uh, repentance. Did you get that one? Okay. Repentance. After I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I hadn't really even repented yet. I just gave him permission to take over, and he's taken things out of my life. I didn't really know that he was love, and it's the love of God that... that draws us to him, and brings us the gift of repentance. Okay? But I didn't really know him yet. And so uh, I was struggling with some resentment and things that I held on from the past. Now I lived a totally unchristlike life, okay? And so my lifestyle and things I was doing was not right, just not right. Okay, and so I was living with a lady. I was going to college. And I'm just being straightforward with you, okay? I'm, I'm just letting you know where I was at. And uh, my friend was uh, also visiting with her in a very intimate way. And I found out about it. And, uh, of course, we broke up and all that. But I held resentment and hatred towards those people. And I wanted to get even. And one day, as I'm in my growth with Christ now, this thought was coming into me. 
you know, in order for you to move on in relationship with me, you need to give up those thoughts and feelings. And man, that, I, that was hard. I said, well, God, you know, it really hurt. It hurt a lot. He said, I, I know that. I've been hurt too. So um, you need to let it go. If you, if you cannot let that go, you cannot grow with me. And so, okay, what do you want me to do? I want you to pray for him. Wow, praying for your enemy? So I said, okay, Lord, that's it. And so I started doing that. I was crying and praying and crying. And, uh, and so I, I let go of that. I re- let go of resentment and hatred and all that towards these people. And then the Holy Spirit impressed me that, listen, you need to look beyond yourself. This is not about you. We need to keep that focus. This is about kingdom, the kingdom, enlarging the kingdom. It's about God and his love and mercy for all people. And so he let me pull back and he allowed me to see the bigger picture of this issue. And so he impressed me. He said, I want you to pray for them. And it was a number of years later, but then he says, okay, one day I woke up and he said, I want you to pray. I want you to uh, call Rick, call Rick. Now, he was my friend. I said, what? Call Rick? What do I want to call Rick? Just call Rick. I didn't know where Rick was. Got in the phone book, called the operator and a bunch of other things, found out where he was. So I called him. And I told him who I was and I give my life to Jesus Christ. And uh, just wanted him to know I, I'd forgiven him, you know. And he started laughing at me and calling me names and a bunch of stuff. So I hung up. And I said, God, that was a lot of fun. Why did you have me do that? He never told me the answer until 10 years later. It was 15 years later from the time I gave my life that he said, okay, now you need to call Rick. I did that 10 years ago, Lord. It wasn't a happy experience. No, you need to call him now. So, of course, I had to find another place where he moved and all that. Called him up. I don't believe it. I wanted to talk to you yesterday. I thought of you, and I wanted to call you and talk to you. I didn't know how to call you. Why? What's up? I'm a believer. I go, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean you're a believer? I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he started repenting and giving me all, telling me all those things he was sorry for. And I said, brother, I forgave you 20 years ago. It's because of you that I, I gave my life to Christ, you know, and so... Anyway, so we actually met and hugged each other, and it was very, it was very warm and, and fuzzy. It's cool. So this gift of repentance, God gives us this thing. It's not, we can't make ourselves sorry enough. You know, today it's like repentance. And go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, and that's not repentance. This repentance is something so deep it just breaks your heart, and you never want to do it again. And so, that's that's the third step. I, I call it the third step. It could be the first step. But, but I actually had to surrender my life to Christ before I could experience repentance. I think the book Steps to Christ points that out, too, if you, if you read that chapter on repentance. And so this is something that really needs to happen within our church, where there's true repentance. And because then when we associate with each other, I'm looking at Dawn as, um, you're my sister, you're, you're a part of me, and so I can't do things against you, I can't hurt you. Because if I hurt you, I'm hurting myself. And if I'm hurting you, I'm hurting God. Because uh, I think it's Desire of Ages, it says that uh, the way we treat others is the way we treat God. And I don't want to crucify Christ anymore, okay? I've done enough in my life. 
And so as we interact with each other, it's very easy for those walls to be broken down when we're seeing our, you guys in a different light. You're part of me, okay? I know that's gonna be hard to grasp for a while, but that's, that's reality. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wasn't willing that Rick should perish or Candy should perish, uh, but that they should come to repentance too. And I saw, you know, if they didn't get to know God, they would be lost forever. And I don't want anyone to be lost forever. Do you not know that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? I discovered in my journey there that I was finding out the goodness of God. I was looking at God's character and the way he treats people. When you go through the Gospels, you see the goodness of God. And so now, uh, this uh, repentance and all this stuff that's going on in my life, I'm realizing that God is good, God is wonderful, He's, He loves everybody, every human being, and everyone has the opportunity to be saved. And I need to look at people in, in that way. And so that, that's what leads us to repentance. Now I start seeing God in a different light, that He wasn't just hanging over my shoulder, pointing out my sins and like a tyrant or something. He didn't like me. He was trying to find something wrong with me. Now he's my father. He loves me and he, he cares about everything in my life. And so he didn't take anything out of my life that was not for my good. It was stuff that I was destroying myself with. And so he took those things out because he loved me. So it was the goodness of God that led me to repentance. Repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. We shall not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness. Until we turn away from it in the heart, there will be no real change in the life. And that's the problem. We, we hang on to some things. And so we can't have that complete change that God wants to give us. And then we need to confess. I confessed my sins. And why do, why do these th thoughts keep coming back after I've confessed my sins? Why do they keep coming back? Have you ever had that experience? Yes. Yeah, there's a reason for that. It's found in Isaiah or Ezekiel, and I'll have to look that one up. It's in 33, I believe. But it's that um, it deepens our repentance. And what I'll just tell you what I did. And I tripped or just, yeah, uh, just tripped into this thing or whatever I'm trying to say. <laughs> I fell into it, I guess. Because I would, I would confess a sin, and I'd be peace and all that for a while, and then a few weeks later, then that same thing would come back. And I said, well, God, I confess it. Didn't you forgive me? And after I did this like three or four months until I, I was unhappy and wasn't having a joyful experience with God, then the thought came to me, just admit that you did it. I started doing that, so when the thought would come back that I did something, I said, thank you, Lord. I'm thankful I'm not like that anymore. Thankful that you delivered me from that. And so I would admit it, and then that peace would come in. And it's been gone for years now. I don't, that same confession doesn't keep coming back to me. It's gone. And I'll, I'll get you some information on that. It's on, I, Thursday. it's on Thursday? Okay, I already jumped ahead, sorry. <laughs> But because a lot of people struggle with this, that part of their experience, you know, why does it keep coming back? And so we'll, we'll deal with that on Thursday. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have got to believe this. It's time. I'm out of time. It's quarter after. Okay. 
See, how, how far did I, what did I leave off? Did I almost get there? Oh, well. Just because, this is the best part. This is the most important part. And I didn't even get there. So, um, yeah, I think so. Thanks, Jody. Okay, so after we do all these things, this, actually this justification part happens at the very beginning when you let go and you surrender your life to Christ. It happens in a moment. Just, justified, never sinned. That's the definition for justification, just if you had never sinned. In the little book, Steps to Christ, page 62, it says this. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your personal Savior today, right now, this afternoon, doesn't matter what happened yesterday, last week, last year. If you're accepting right now, this morning, this afternoon, as your personal Savior, then as sinful as your life may have been, for Christ's sake, you are accounted righteous. Should, thank you. Everyone was supposed to say that. This is the best. This is the best news. Usually, I get excited and start jumping up and down right here. But I've learned in the past it doesn't really change anybody's <laughs> experience. So, but no, think about this. Then as sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are counted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character. In place of your, and he accepts you before God just as if you had not sinned. Okay, right now, today. Can you handle that? Okay, I'll stop right there. Let's have prayer before you leave. Lord, it gave him a lot of information. But it's critical, Father, that we're not buried alive. That self dies and that you might live and dwell in us, Lord. Please be with each person here. Help they'll, they'll come back. You know, all, every day this week, we're going to be sharing the same types of things. How to walk. How to say no to the flesh. The difference between sin and repentance. Please bring him back. Please help them right now from this point on, Lord, to walk with you in faith. Faith is trusting God, believing that you love us and know what's best for our good. We accept your, your love and your wisdom in place of our ignorance. Bless them now. Thank you, Lord, for being here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.